Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're about to listen to Graham's preview of this weekend's El Clasico Real Madrid v Barcelona at the Bernabeu. This episode is free and in it Graham breaks down the tactical dilemmas faced by Zinedine Zidane and Ernesto Valverde. He also predicts his starting 11 for both sides and picks his combined XI. You'll hear Graham answering questions submitted by our socios. To become a socio, sign up now to get our entire archive of shows, including five exclusive big interviews and this month's first special mini-documentary on Gareth Bale. Head to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Okay, welcome to another big inside view, a special inside view, not just because it's nearly Christmas, but because we're previewing a classical for the first time, for the first time since the big inside view was invented. It's actually our second recording of the week. This week, we recorded a special mini documentary on Gareth Bale, which was exclusive to our socios. Um, it's something that has been gestating for quite a long time. And Graham, we had pretty good fun recording this. True enough. Um, it, it was a passion project for me, you know that. Um, I, I My argument was that uh, Gareth Bale, irrespective of the sort of legion of injuries which have um, caused him to, not only just caused his time at Real Madrid to have a, a cloud over it, but it's it's kind of besmirched his reputation because there's been a mean and I think completely unfounded whispering and nudging campaign in the Spanish media. So... Anybody who's a socio or anybody who's now joining us for the first time to listen to this particular uh, build-up to the classical will probably know that I, you know, I tend to speak in in capitals and bold. And um, number one, Gareth Bale's excellence, um, because many of the the moments when he's been determined uh, determinant for Madrid have been pure football or athletic excellence and I think that he's at or around already despite the fact that it's underappreciated at, at home um, probably the the greatest or most successful footballing export um, Britain has ever sent out to the continent and I'm, I'm going back as far as the, the way in which Gareth's countryman John Charles was not only adored and successful in Italy but regarded as a colossus of the game, never regarded in the same way as Bale, never regarded with suspicion. And I'm taking in the, the vast numbers of people I've, I know, I've met, who've, um, who've gone abroad from British football and, and carved out trophy-winning careers and, and learned a language. Gareth hasn't learned a language, not at all. And his injuries have left him, I think, uh, with... There's a bad taste around his time at Roma, dude, which I think is completely unfair. Therefore, the reason we recorded it and the fun we had uh, was me ranting and raving at how people don't properly appreciate him and the way in which some people are deliberately trying to bes- besmirch his name. And I ain't having it. Well, as I said, this is the first of regular monthly mini documentaries that we're going to do exclusive to the socios. But this one is free. This one's for everyone. 
And we were just talking beforehand there, Graham. I'm particularly excited by this classical, excited by every classical, but I think there's something different about this one. It feels different because it's December the 23rd. We're so used to these kind of later at night, Sunday night classicals, and this just feels completely different because it's lunchtime on December the 23rd. Interestingly, and I'm going to throw one at you here, um, the last time a classical was on December the 23rd was exactly 10 years ago. Madrid won 1-0 with a Julio Baptista goal, and that was quite a significant, almost kind of landmark in, in, in both clubs' histories that day. Landmark in football history, Martin. I don't think we need to box clever. I, I, I hadn't remembered that I'd been at this game that you've mentioned. I hadn't remembered that it was so close to Christmas. And you, like you, not, not only has it curtailed my, my plans to get home to Dandy D-Land in Aberdeen, um, Happily enough in this instance, because it's a special game. But um, it does feel a little bit odd in that when I moved to Spain, one of the, not idiosyncrasies, but things that I approved of, was that um, the Christmas break here in La Liga was longer, longer for journalists and fans and players. And at that stage, there was no um, passion for the Christmas uh, football programme that exists in the, in the British Isles. But with each passing year, particularly in the last four or five, fans and media have been going crazy for the festive football in the UK that they can now see here, broadcast live. And although Spanish football culture doesn't share an awful lot, or or better to say, there are many things in the British football culture that that don't exist, no matchday programmes, no concept of... A festive football, very, very small concept of big hordes of fans travelling with their club to away games. I could go on about the number of things that are different, but therefore I'm surprised that I'd forgotten the date of that crucial game. And when you said it was it was a kind of a red letter day for the Clásico, for La Liga, the reason I said it much, much more than that was that this was the stage at which Although Frank Rijkaard's reign, um, it was only a year and a half since he won the European Cup in Paris against uh, Arsenal. Frank Rijkaard's reign had clearly been unravelling in terms of, I don't want to be rude and go into his, his personal life, but his personal life was kind of Bambi on ice. Um, and that wasn't helping him. It wasn't helping his uh, attention to detail and training. There were one or two players... Listen, it's it's now they're now nameable, and I, in fact, I admitted in the book that we published together, Barca, the making of the greatest team in the world. That you know, I bumped into Ronaldinho on one of his nights out, and between Ronaldinho and Deco and 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 Mota to a certain degree, there was a bit of a party um, ethos erupting at Barcelona. Um, leaders weren't leading. Rijkaard was one of those who wasn't leading, and. Although it becomes absolutely apparent by the time the return classical in the, I think it's early May, not late April, um, Madrid have won the title, it's at the Bernabeu, Barcelona are forced to give a guard of honour, um, which again has resonance with this week, we'll come back to that. But the guard of honour is because Barcelona you know, have lost their title which they were defending. Real Madrid have wrapped it up. The second Glasgow comes around. It's a 4-1 humiliation. Chabi told me, don't get it wrong. Don't, I'm not joking. It could have been seven or eight. Um, he's sent off but out of pure, you know, his temper snaps, but out of pure humiliation and frustration. And therefore, it's easy to say, wow, there was a transition from that era and Rijkaard and the indiscipline to Pep Guardiola, who changed everything at Football Club Barcelona who taught us a new way of coaching, a new way of asking footballers to play, um, because it's an upgrade, I think, on the on the Cruyff era. And and that, you know, uh, spiralled into the Bayern experience, and now to this day, the Manchester City experience, where people are talking about Pep and can he win a quadruple. So blah, blah, blah. But this was the game. Sunday, 23rd December, 2007. Players like Gabi Melito, do you remember him? Um, Yaya Toure, uh, Zambrota, Giordos Santos, um, all featured at some stage for uh, Barca, um, for Real Madrid, uh, Gabi Heinze, uh, Mahmoud Diara, Wesley Schneider, uh, Miguel Torres. Do people remember Miguel Torres? Went on to star at Malaga, Gago, Robin, 
and the coach was Schuster. Um, and what was um, happening was that Madrid were on their way to the title. It was a game which, which the scoreline probably doesn't reflect that Madrid bossed it. You, they had an ebullience, a confidence. They were more muscular. They were quicker. But a single goal difference um, was a was a low return, if I can call it that. Except the goal was really, really exceptional. Um, Raúl dropped deep, um, gives the ball to Baptista. Baptista um, uses his right foot to flick it in the air to Ruud van Nistelrooy, who's inside. But Baptista, although he's right-footed, is to the left side of the pitch. Van Nistelrooy too has dropped rather deep. And when the Brazilian flicks it, the beast he used to be called, um, because um, one day uh, when he, he was his, his pal Roberto Carlos was burgled in Madrid, and Baptista, who was at Sevilla at the time, nicked onto a train to nick up to the capital see if he could find the burglar and give him a taste of Brazilian medicine, which I always absolutely loved. And Baptista was a really nice guy to meet and speak to, um, and a far more technically gifted football than he showed when um, when he was in London. But in this instance, this beach soccer, this foot tennis, foot volley that they play uh, came to good use because Baptista kind of flicks the ball in the air away to his right. Van Nistelrooy off his left foot returns it on the volley and as it drops down into the sort of far, as we're looking at it from the camera point of view, um, far left-hand side of the penalty area, Baptista kind of takes it on the half volley and off the outside of the right of his book, boot sends it diagonally across the face of Victor Valdez and into Valdez's top left-hand corner. It's an absolutely sensational goal in in creation and taking. And, and it was then, we now know from interviews that I've done um, with Ferran Soriano, with Mark Ingla, uh, with Chiki Bagiristein and with... Uh, to a lesser extent, Joan Laporto, I think, is a revisionist in historic terms. It was it was at that weekend when they decided Frank Reichard's reign is over at the end of the season, full stop. We accelerate the the push um, for a new coach. By that stage, it was already flat down to two men, although it didn't appear so because Lauren Blanc's name was on the list, so was Michael Laudrup's. Um, and at that stage... The men in the know, the men in power at the camp now were split down the middle between Jose Mourinho, who would get an interview, and Pep Guardiola, who'd get the job. So 10 years ago, 23rd December, who knows? I can't see, honestly, I can't see that this game has uh, historic kind of rumbles uh, or plate plate movements that are identical to that, but maybe in other ways, maybe in other ways. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to envision some more kind of far-reaching implications, but I mean, the form is quite interesting. It's been a bit of a funny season for, for both sides. I mean, we've talked about Barca a lot, who have been getting results without playing particularly well. Madrid have obviously recovered slowly from uh, a dreadful start. Seems to be signs that both sides are perhaps hitting a bit of form. Uh, I want to ask you to reflect a little bit on form, but just uh, dropping a, a question from one of our socios. Uh, La Liga Gav says, who's a more confident come into the game? Uh, Madrid after their Club World Championship win or Barca knowing they can maintain an 11-point advantage, even push for a 14-point advantage? So just in terms of the form of both teams going into the game, how would you reflect on that? Gav's question is good. It goes to the heart of what's changed. You know, I think if this game had been played three weeks ago, four weeks ago, we could have said clearly that Barca would have been the more confident. Confident because they have a very clear idea of what they're doing. Um, I, I'd argue that it's um, that it's been stuffy, um, that it's been pragmatic, and that it's been you know, 180 degrees different from the era we, we were talking about there when Pep Guardiola took over, when you saw Pep Guardiola out flapping his arms like a condor's wings to tell, um, let's say it was Pedro and Eto or uh, maybe it was Villa and Pedro or whoever, go wider. The, th- the three up front were three and, and the idea was stretch the pitch. Well, now we're, we're living in an era where um, Barcelona's fundamental... People talk about the team playing tighter together with less space. 
um, working for each other, but the fundamental idea, which maybe Guardiola would acknowledge, because he once said, "If you know, if I could, if I could have it my way, I'd play an entire team of midfielders." Well, Ernesto Valverde hasn't been quite that drastic, but what he has done is regularly pick four, which I think will be the four for um, Saturday: Rakitic, Iniesta, Busquets, and Paulinho, and then with Messi given complete liberty to drop back and play not even as a number 10 but as a you know as a as a as a creative midfielder and then one or two of the the fullbacks pushed onwards even if Busquets drops back into the three um, with two center halves you can regularly see five six sometimes even seven guys playing together in midfield for Barcelona and and that that has given them even though i've been critical of them even though there are games uh, for let's pick on one horrendous example where on the crazy day on the 1st of october when they play at home to las palmas and fans aren't let in because of the terrible events on the streets of this city las palmas came with no form not far off having sacked a coach not too far off sacking the same Paco Estrana who was in charge that day and for the first 45 minutes, Las Palmas completely outpassed and outplayed Barcelona. Maybe that was the low point, but I think we can also talk about um, a dreadful first-half display at Atletico Madrid, um, been given a bit of a chasing or a bit of a closing down, at least, by Girona. Um, there are other examples away to Sporting Lisbon. The list can go on where Barcelona have done exactly what you've said, which has gained some sort of result, um, but making them play in a, in a manner which not only isn't exhilarating, isn't scintillating, doesn't show particular flair or creativity, but which makes them, if they re, if they remain Mesco and club, they do not remain Mesco and equipo. They're not more than a team. So if this, if to answer Scav's question, had this been a couple of weeks ago, then Barcelona would come into it with much more confidence. Now it's not the case. You can quickly point to the fact that Real Madrid have made themselves world champions again, Okay, that's all very good. That that helps. Um, but what two things that are absolutely vital is number one, they, they've emptied out their um, their sort of hospital list, where one player after another, f- ranging from poor old Danny Carvajal having a virus infection that infected the wall of his heart, to a pretty consistent run of muscular injuries, notably. Um, Benzema, Marcelo, but take, ridding them of Kovacic for most of the first half of the season. Um, Kaylor too. Um, and therefore, the number one thing I say to, to, to Gav, that, that the confidence levels are pretty equal, might include the, the trophy lift in the UAE last week against uh, Gremio when they made themselves repeat world champions. But they're now in form, uh, Martin. Roma did have... A zip about them. Um, they play much more uh, concise, effective passing football. And when they get their passing game going, when they are able to break from one end of the box to the other, as they did, for example, in the Super Cup um, at the beginning of this season at the Camp Now, when Messi had just equalised 1-1, and um, there's a nice little move. Barca are going for the winner. There's about... I don't know, maybe 10 minutes left, 11 minutes left. Um, there's a little dummy as the ball's set back from Suarez to Messi. Sergio Roberto dummies it, Carvajal sees it, and he intercepts on the edge of the Madrid box. The ball then moves um, through, I think, well, certainly, Carvajal, Cruz. Uh, Cruz to the chest of Cristiano Ronaldo, chested down to Isco. Isco takes two touches, lays it off to Cristiano Ronaldo again, who takes on PK and bashes it into the the far top left hand corner of Marta Andre Terstegen's net. It's a fourteen second move from penalty box to penalty box with eleven touches, and that's an arch example of what Real Madrid are very good at. They've never hit the heights in terms of if you want to compare pure football um, under Zidane with pure football under Pep Guardiola. They're different brands, but they're I think they have achieved a beauty of their own Real Madrid and that's coming back they're not at their peak but they're coming back so I think the two teams approach um, this game with 
almost identical levels of confidence. It's just my proposition that when Real Madrid and when this Barcelona play at their absolute tip-top, I still believe Real Madrid are the better eleven. I mean, this kind of segues nicely into this discussion over tactics, I guess, that we're very keen to have. And it was interesting when we put out a, a shout to the socios to submit their questions. And so many of the questions centred around how the teams will set up. And I just want to uh, read out a few Barca-related kind of tactical queries. So, first of all, Jose Martinez, who says, what type of game plan do you think Valverde playing the Bernabeu 4-4-2, 4-3-3? Uh, he says, I think the blow from Paco over the weekend will turn him into a 4-4-2. Craig McGeer, he says, can't remember the last time I was this confident before a classical, probably because of the points difference rather than performance. If you were Valverde, how would you set up Barcelona tomorrow? Uh, what game plan would you use? Hassan Al-Sheikh says, do you think Valverde will go a four-man midfield? Iniesta, Sergio, Paulinho, Rakitic. If so, don't you think it would be a really slow midfield compared to that of Real Madrid? Uh, who on the day yeah, we all know can be the fastest ball playing team in Europe. So that that's a kind of a, a flavour of the, the questions that um, the socios are asking, and you, you have quite strong opinions on on how you think Barcelona will shape up, but perhaps how you think they should shape up. Is that right? Well, okay. Well, I mean, first of all, thanks to Craig, Jose, and and Hassan. It's really it's good to hear other people's point of view, and you know, I I don't treat it like well, thanks for the questions. I know this or that as a certainty. It all I think people's perspectives feed into my um, my own my own judgment and perspective, and it, it's good to hear people who've got a, a viewpoint from a bit of a distance. Sometimes when you're covering the classical, when you're working around each club, um, you, you can be sucked into feeling and 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 expressing the same ideas. And I'm talking for the hundreds of journalists in this country who've been spending the last couple of weeks building up to this and gathering information. So, hola, Craig, uh, Jose and Hassan. First of all, if this helps as an answer, here's how I think Madrid line up. I think Madrid line up as an 11 with Kaylor Carvajal, um, Varane, Ramos and Marcelo. I think Bale probably is asked to turn the game, win the game from the bench. It's my opinion. Guaranteed, No. But I think the midfield, um, which I think was one of the points, um, will be Cruz, Modric, Casemiro and Isco with Benzema and Ronaldo up front. And at Barca line up, although I would play Mascherano, I make no bones about that whatsoever, and I'll, I'll happily explain why. I think they line up Marc-Andre Ter Stegen, um, Sergio Roberto, Piquet, Formalen, Alba, Rakitic, Busquets, Iniesta, Paulinho, Suarez and Messi. Now, that doesn't cover the strategy, obviously. So in terms of strategy, number one, what I expect to see is Madrid doing something that they did against Sevilla, um, doing something that they've done on the road, Deportivo La Coruña, where they start very strong, very high and at turbo speed. I think that Madrid will look to try and um, blow Barcelona away. Um, they did that in the Super Cup second leg where they had all the cards stacked in their favour. Nobody should make a mistake and think that I'm selling the idea that it's an identical situation because it was only the Super Cup. They had a 3-1 lead from the camp now. It was early season. They hadn't had their problems. Blah, blah, blah. But I definitely believe that one of the... To, to give you context, I, I've always believed that Zidane, the coach is the player whisperer. I think that the way he runs training, what he asks for people in training, what he shows in training, the drills he asks them to do repeatedly, the sense about football he talks to them, because this has become a very um, integral part of the modern dialogue between a coach and multimillionaire players. Of the many things that can turn a squad off or a team off will be when... They think that a coach, particularly a, um, you know, a blackboard coach, a guy who thinks he knows more, thinks he knows more than them. Um, when when there's a, a discord between a squad and a coach in that manner, who's he trying to tell? What does he know? We know better. That's when 
Even elite squads, elite clubs have big problems. Zidane's the opposite. He can still do and show everything that he talks about. And because he is an elite ex-player talking to elite players who still want to win, who are still hungry, the fit, the connection, the communication has been electric. Turn it round, and I would say that as a young manager early in his career, I still don't believe that Zidane is necessarily the best strategist, that he, uh, what do you call it, antimano, ahead of time, uh, necessarily reads games in anything like, and it's unfair to use Pep as the as the yardstick because it, this is where he's utterly brilliant. But if you take Pep at the, at the far end of reading an opponent, understanding, anticipating, I, I'm not even certain that Zidane wants that to ever be his number one strength. I think he has a clear, and he's often spoken about this too, I don't, I'm not trying to be inside his head, there's a clear desire for Zidane to say, I'll have the, I'll have the better players than you, the other teams, other coaches. My proposition is that we'll, we'll outplay you. We'll always play offensively. We'll always play front foot. We'll take the game to you. Whether we dominate the ball or whether, as I think it was Hassan's point about whether we break brilliantly across the length of the pitch, we will, we will simply um, out-dribble you, out-tackle you, we'll jump higher than you, we'll score more spectacular goals than you, and we'll score more goals than you. Um, it's not quite playground football, but in terms of strategy, I think one of his trick cards in, in, in an armoury which is not necessarily as replete as a coach who's you know, in his 50s, who's, who's cut his teeth with lesser squads and who's had to fall back on interpretive brilliance. Zidane is still an evangelical and inspirational guy to work for. And if the players are inspired and are on board, their quality and the simple things he asks them to do will click. And therefore, that's, that's one of the things I'm arguing, is that the strategy for Real Madrid, I think, will be to look to get on top of Barcelona, to look to cause them to make mistakes, to try and exploit the fact that if it's for Malin, really, although he has not, he's let nobody done, down since he took over from Umtiti, and really, although the Belgian has emphasised that he's got a, a clear, intelligent football brain, he reads situations well, he's a decent, always has been a decent passer of the ball, and he positions himself quite well. In my view, this is the game where it'll tell whether so many seasons without accumulating loads of top-level football comes at a cost, which I think it does. This will be the game where elite footballers asking him whether... Um, half-metre misjudgment is something that he can compensate for. Whereas, patently against Valencia or Deportivo La Coruña, he has been able to. And, and I think it's I think that it's been... An, because he's done well, absolutely unequivocally done well, since um, Umtiti was injured, it's been an under-examined part of the Clasico that if it's him rather than Mascherano, and Mascherano clearly has disadvantages to him that he's leaving the club in January... He's been out injured, but he, he's savvy. He knows his way around these atmospheres, these games. He's a leader. He's a winner. He's ferocious. He's a little bit of a phenomenon. So Madrid, one, I see them, yeah, playing whatever kind of game gets them a result, whether it's uh, dominating from the start, whether it's owning the ball, whether it's counterattacks. The fact of it is I, I see them trying to steamroller uh, football club Barcelona. As far as Barca's concerned, I, I don't think there's any question. It's like the table's a bit wobbly and therefore instead of replacing all four legs, what I'll do is I'll, I'll shave a little bit off that. Oh, now it's wobbly in that way. Well, if I just even it up by shaving a little bit off this, oh, it's still wobbly. If you don't commit to playing the Barca way, which means that there's a th a third forward if you count Messi and Suarez as the two forwards wherever Messi plays if there's not a third forward I think there's an imbalance and Suarez has lost a half yard of pace partly because um, of age maybe partly because predominantly because of the meniscus problem that he's had Can it, will it definitely stop him scoring producing a big goal no has he got what 7 in 13 5 in his last 5 ok sure it's not the Suarez of last season or the season before. His knee is a problem. And therefore, if he is 
up front with Messi in a two, but Messi drops back into midfield. Suarez is left battling for scraps. And I think that makes it much easier for Ramos and Varane. And therefore, although it's of less importance, what I would do would be, I would play Semedo at right back. I'd play Sergio Roberto at nominally the third of the three forwards and he'd be drifting back and forwards between uh, midfield and attack. But I, I don't think, and I think that would give a balance to both um, the strike force and to um, the midfield. And I take the point about, um, I'm, I'm not sure whether it was Jose, whoever said that um, Paco being out meant that it was now absolutely sure that it'd be, it would look like a 4-4-2. I think that is absolutely sure because Alcacer is, absent injured and will be out for you know until early January but I still don't think Valverde had the confidence in something I saw as a big positive Alcacer and Suarez playing together I thought it was a huge positive in terms of the quality of football the isolation of Suarez but I, I don't think he's going to do it I think that the key man in his idea is Paulinho Paulinho's links with Messi his work his height his willingness to chase after players and close them down and make them less effective. I think that will be the, the strategy. It will be Paulinho trying to drift forward from the midfield to link the Suarez, to link with Messi and to, to arrive late around the box. I suppose in a way that Baptista did in that famous game that you picked out on uh, 10 years ago. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, I mean, just, just in name-checking all a couple of socios, Cameron Whittle and Daryl Geraghty are both talking about this kind of right-sided situation with Semedo and Sergio Roberto. Um, it's an interesting one. I mean, I was watching the Deportivo game at the weekend and I always think Barca just look a better team when Sergio Roberto's playing. His, his assist for Suarez's second goal, I think Barca's third goal at the weekend, was just unbelievable moment of quality. He just seems to give them an extra... But a balance and quality and, and well, let's go. Okay, let's go all the way. Listen, number one, I buy your premise, Martin. I totally buy your premise that which is the more broad sweeping one. Sergio Roberto is in a Barcelona team. The team looks better because of something that um, when he became the first manager to truly uh, trust Sergio Roberto and use him regularly, Luis Enrique. As soon as there was a sniff that Sergio Roberto was. Um, now a guaranteed regular, if not a guaranteed starter, a guaranteed regular. The question was, well, okay, uh, Lucho, what's the deal? And he went, his, he, he, he instantly the phrase he went for was his football intelligence. And I think that you see that time and time again. Um, at half time in that game against Deportivo La Coruña, Sergio Roberto was the player who'd sprinted the quickest. He'd, he'd reached a peak of 32k an hour, whatever it was. Nobody else had out sprinted in that game. Now, you wouldn't say he's quick. Honestly, you wouldn't. I think that's because he's he's kind of small and compact. There's no moment where you look at him sprinting across the turf and you say, well, there's a guy who could have been an Olympic runner. Um, but he is quick. And the truth of it is, when you add to the fact that he, he reads situations really well, he anticipates really well. I interviewed him, I don't know, four or five weeks ago. And he talked at length about the, the confidence that his basic education in the youth system that Barcelona had given him because although he accepted my point that that now we were not watching a Barca team that was going to be asked to play the same way, his uh, viewpoint was that it had given him a, uh, a lexicon of knowing exactly what to do in any situation, when to hold the ball, when to first-time pass, when to try and swivel a man and, and use the space, um, how to support, how to play in these triangular um, little formations that give Barcelona the extra man, the man over, when to press, how to press. I think he's a. He also he's absolutely clear that he'd far rather play in midfield, but he is one of those who says, "Well, if I'm asked to play it right back, then I will do." And and the idea was from Valverde by Valverde's own expression, 
to, to the idea was that Sergio Roberto would become a midfielder. But the success of Paulinho and the degree to which Semedo is not trusted by Valverde. I'm going to say not not yet. I, I, I'm a little bit concerned that there is that there's no great feeling between the two of them. Um, Semedo got involved in a scrap with Neymar um, in, in pre-season training. It, it was, I th- my opinion was Neymar overreacted and stomped about. He wanted his move. It was coming. He, he, he did that thing that big players do. How dare you do that to me in training when, you know, usually it's, there's a big match coming out where was, with Neymar. It was like, I've got a big move coming up, son. And Semedo wasn't having any of it. And there was a standoff and Neymar stomped away out of training in, in full view of the fans that were there and somebody happily with a, a smartphone camera. And Semedo has talked about it. I knew at the time, I was tipped off at the time, that um, there was a little bit of pressure from the club and down through the manager, like, just go and make up, say sorry to Neymar. And Semedo was like, nah, no chance. (laughs) I might be the the new boy, but I'm standing my ground. And I would have thought that should have been a mark of something. Um, I don't think it has been. I think that he's patently a, a, a work in progress whereby... He has speed. He has dribbling power. Whether he's as disciplined and, and well-timed about his runs as he might be, I'm not, certainly from Valverde's point of view, Martin, I'm not sure. But let's say you trust him. If you trust him as manager of Football Club Barcelona, then Roberto can play in midfield. Then Roberto can play on the right side of a three up front and Barcelona look more balanced. And, and you just, you know, wherever he is in the team, Barcelona look better. If he plays in midfield or up front, they look much better. And Suarez is not isolated then. I genuinely think that's one of the key factors in this game. That Because um, we, we have to... I don't know if the socios have asked this, but we have to point out um, what Xabi Alonso was saying recently. He, he gave a huge football-oriented interview where he talked really interestingly about the fact that during those classical wars of 2010-11, uh, Messi kept doing... He said, Xabi Alonso's own words, he's done me a lot of damage. He was bursting our heads, you know? And he talked about Xavi in those classicals showing the ball, tempting Xabi Alonso to go close him down. Messi running in behind Xabi Alonso as soon as Xabi Alonso went to Xavi. And Ramos then having to come out to Messi... And their whole shape being disrupted. Messi being cute enough to either tempt Ramos into a foul or to beat him on the turn. And there then being a great gap of space. So the idea was that they came to Xabi Alonso saying, I'm not going to go to Xavi whenever he's got the ball. I'm staying with Messi. Ramos stays where he is. We leave Xavi to do what he wants with the ball. But we close off Messi. And at that stage, he said, by about early 2012, equilibrium was learned, returned to the Classicals and we began to be able to win again. Now, there's no Mourinho, there's no Xabi Alonso, but there is a Ramos. And, and Messi's made a habit. If you go back to Messi's first hat-trick, the 3-3, um, I suppose in 2006-07, uh, the second half of the season, his first hat-trick in the Classical, um, he's only had two, but two of 24 goals. And... Um, and it's Ramos that he leaves, you know, right at the end as he takes this pass from Ronaldinho and races through. It's Ramos he leaves sort of sprawled on the ground in the penalty box, unable to stop him. In the 6-2, uh, where he plays false nine for the very first time, it's Messi deep in midfield that Ramos comes running out to close um, as as Messi dinks the ball over him and Ramos sees what's happening and goes, oh no, and does a sort of Bruce Lee Kung Fu kick in reverse to try and get to the ball which drops at Thierry Henry's feet and he races in and scores time and time again including two of the five red cards Ramos has had in the Classicos two of them have been for scything challenges on Messi time and time again Messi has been able to tempt Ramos into areas where he shouldn't be where he doesn't want to be now the work that Suarez does in order to either occupy Varane or occupy Marcelo, or draw space for Messi's runs, that is a product of how isolated Suarez is and what kind of quality of movement and quality of possession he can get. So I think it's a, if... if um, I'm not calling it an out-and-out advantage, but if Barcelona don't have a 4-3-3 shape, 
Um, I think that you can begin to talk about advantages for either Carvajal or Marcelo, how far up the pitch they're able to go, and disadvantages for Suarez himself, who increasingly in that formation can look very isolated and can cut a very frustrated figure. And we know what sometimes happens when that's how Suarez feels about his lot. I mean, go back to the Deportivo game. I was really struck by Iniesta's performance. It seems like vintage Iniesta points. His assist for Suarez's first goal was just insane. What kind of form is he in and what kind of influence can he have in, on the outcome? Again, I, I buy your shout there. It, it, was, it was something of a shock to me that um, he did several things which were so, so stunning. Because when the ball comes to um, Iniesta breaking out from the Deportivo La Coruña box, he, if you see, he has a half thought, do I turn and shuttle it back to PK? Or, and then he has a tiny look to his left and saying, is, is, is that brilliant right foot Iniesta pass to Alba and then the cutback for Messi? Is that on? Is Alba running? And this is all happening in the space of, you know, 1.2, 1.3, 1.5 seconds. And he, when he looks to his left... There's no Alba racing. Now, by definition, he's looking to his left and Messi is to his forward right. And what's more, Messi's onside because he's inside a cluster of Deportivo La Coruña players. Now, unless somebody, unless Iniesta's dad is in the stand and Iniesta's actually radio controlled and he's saying, son, yeah, turn to square 92. Yeah, Messi, target, target located. And it's some sort of radio-controlled, heat-seeking pass. How did he see Messi? Never mind how did he deliver the ball to him. Because that that quarterback pass should have been impossible. What Iniesta did with Messi, unable to see him, lobs this sort of Super Bowl-winning pass, which Messi takes down his chest and lays off inside to, to Suarez to, you know, to shovel home from no distance with no keeper because... Messi's taken Ruben out of the game. It, it was just extraordinary, but so was the other. There were various little flicks and tricks and moves, but the goal you talked about, where Sergio Roberto puts on this, the, I mean, it was a it was a vintage weekend for it because if you look at Versalico and um, Fernando Torres, when Alaves get beaten by that brilliant move, the Croatian right back is playing like a winger. He slides the ball right in the corridor between the retreating defenders and the onrushing goalkeepers that Torres can score. I didn't think I'd see a better right-footed pass to a striker than that all weekend, but Sergio Roberto possibly equaled it with his, his ball into... It was just... It was just amazing. But the build-up with a move before that, Martin, you know what I mean? Well, I actually thought it, there's a camera angle that, that, that shows it and it reminds me of a... It was almost like a Gareth Bale-esque pass. It's a really difficult ball to play. He has to hit one spot for it to for the perfect execution and he manages to do it and you just think well that is the difference between a very good player and, and a, a world class player that he can just pick out that precise spot one of the things that La Liga Gav would be shouting at his iPod right now is that there 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 there's the reason that Barca can go to the Glasgow and win which is not why I'm tipping at all um, I think it's feasible I do think it's feasible but it's not why imagine it's going to happen because the build up to that I mean the, I agree with you about the pass but if you remember the, the the goal comes where Jordi Alba just outside the Deportivo La Coruña penalty box recuperates the ball feeds it to Iniesta's in a cluster of players and does a little twirl and a back heel to take out about three Depor players and from that point onwards the 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 movement of the ball, the, the, the shipping of the ball quickly from one to the other, including Paulinho and Busquets and Iniesta, and out it goes. By the time that it's, um, and Messi, by the time it's got to Alex Vidal, who nominally um, is is playing, I suppose, uh, wide right, because Paco Alcacer has come off injured, so Vidal has had the common sense to come into mid-pitch to seek the ball. And the, it, it, even when the ball is atascado, they say here, um, even when the ball is in traffic, pretty much midway through the Deportivo La Coruña half, Sergio Roberto, seeing Alex Vidal moving inside, has started off on his wing-back run because of because he's bright. Now, the lead-up play that gets the ball to Alex Vidal, who swivels and turns and lays it into the path of Sergio Roberto, even before that clinical 
you know, spirit level um, center uh, for the goal by Sergio Roberto. The build-up play is the first time in many, 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 many months, probably since the second half of Luis Enrique's treble season, that I've seen Barca playing with the precision and flair and passing verve that made them famous. So that, therefore, that goal is one of the goals of the season and not simply for Sergio Roberto's assists. I just want to cover another selection dilemma which a couple of the associates flagged up, Daryl Geraghty, Finlay McDonald, asking about Isco, Bale or Asensio, who would get the nod out of those three. I mean, you've already stated that you think Bale shouldn't start, that he can influence the game best um, coming off the bench. If he starts, he could go out there and prove me completely wrong by getting through the 90 minutes or 75 or 80 and scoring goals and winning it. And, and frankly, I'd rather see him being given that chance. But is he ready, given how long he's been out? People might say, well, it's worth the gamble because this is a must-win situation for Madrid. I don't think, I can't remember if, we've, if we, we've called out the table. But Barca lead now from Atleti and Valencia with Madrid um, in fourth because Sevilla didn't uh, win at the Anoeta last night. It's an 11-point gap, net eight, if, if Madrid beat Leganes, which is a, a deferred game because of the World Club Championship. Um, an eight-point gap that... It's 11 now. Should Barcelona win, it's 14, net 11. Madrid have never overturned an eight-point gap on any club in La Liga to go on and win the title. Never. But Madrid are the team of never-been-done-befores. That, that's what they are. Anybody who says that if you know Madrid were to win this Glasgow, that they can't win the title. I think that's just wrong. And therefore, is it the case that you risk bail and you say it's vital that he starts, our best 11 starts, you get the BBC back on? I don't think that's good. I don't think that's good logic. I don't think that's good strategy. I don't think it's the right idea. And although Madrid is a very political club where you do what is sometimes managers do, what they think might be well-regarded... Note, Rafa Benitez not starting Casemiro, but yes, starting Danilo in the Clasico, which effectively sealed his the end of his short regime there, where Barca won 4-0. And uh, the, the, whoever was in charge of the PA system turned the PA up extra loud, ear-splittingly loud, and left it on unusually long to drown out the, the home crowd chanting um, Florentino de Mission. Florentino resign, resign. You know, it was a there was a real North Korean feel that day, um, where it's let's not let the people's voice be heard, and therefore I, I use that example. It didn't do Rafa Benitez any good to pander to the president's wishes that Danilo should start. Um, Bale has the potential, as he showed against Fuenlabrada, as he showed against um, Gremio, to come on and make a difference, to come on and, and score. Therefore, that's what I expect to happen. And Asensio is, is a footballer who Zidane, you know, patently trusts. He gave away um, a horrendous goal uh, a couple of weeks ago and then was immediately picked to start again. Um, and and at a time when I, I thought uh, Zidane's patience should probably be running out with him. Um, but I I just do not believe that he's done enough to start in this game. Um, I, I would say that I've named the correct 11, that it will be the four-man in midfield, that Isco has absolutely earned... He, he looked a little bit heavy-legged about two, three weeks ago, but he's he's sharper, he's been rested, he's won a trophy, it's the classical. I absolutely believe that uh, he's earned the right to start. And if, if Bale were to prove himself absolutely fit... 100% fit this week and Zidane wanted to take a risk my judgement would be the better risk would be to say well if I play Bale I drop Benzema we play Bale and Cristiano interacting up front Isco keeps his place Isco is um, they say imprescindible here just you can't do without him point full stop you touched on the, the outcome of the result there in Barca 11 points cleared at the moment a game more played I mean, if Madrid lose, they're, they're out of it, aren't they? I mean, you know, that goes to 14, net 11. It's a really, it's a, it's a long way back from there. But 
we've got a, a social question, John Nyenberger. Uh, if Madrid drop points, is the league title been won? I guess the point is that it might be a mountain to climb at that point, but you can't say the league title was won because Atleti are, are sitting six points behind Barca and Valencia are still in there as well. Yeah, John's, John's stuck one on my chin there because um, I, I, I do think that if, if Barca were to go um, and win at the Bernabeu, I think the point gap then probably becomes too big for Real Madrid. I think that the damage that would be done, given that a bus on a side which is, you know, has been stripped of Neymar, where Suarez is injured, um, and where new players are still bedding in, and Untiti is out, if that Barca goes to the Clásico and wins, the damage that would do to Madrid in terms of their confidence, their uh, reputation, uh, the savaging they get from the media. That's them out of the, the, the title race. Yes, John. But then he, he, the reason he stuck one on the chin is that I have said, and I meant, Atleti aren't good enough to win the title. Now, I said it in my, in my usual sort of bold marker, 32-point um, caps, and I still believe it. I really do. But I, I have to say that the degree to which Atleti have returned to winning 1-0 consistently doing that the degree to which Oblak is playing absolutely brilliantly the degree to which Gamero's return to fitness and form um, has meant a new Griezmann the potential impact, although Vitolo is still injured and his instant impact on the team is looking less likely um, Diego Costa is far from injured, he looks brutally fit he I mean, he looks like a cage fighter now um, he's as muscular and lean as I've ever seen him and remember when Fernando Torres um, left Liverpool and Andy Carroll went from Newcastle and Alan Pardew asked me who should I get to replace Andy Carroll my number one recommendation, recommendation although he was playing alone at Vidalia at the time was Diego Costa and 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 at that stage, he was hungry and lean and hard working all over the pitch and just looked to me like a, a caged tiger. Right now, um, although we've yet to see him in match situations and there's a sharpness, there's a finishing touch to return, Diego Costa's coming into a team which is just beginning to look so much harder to beat. And John's point might be that if they can beat... Let, let's just have a look at this. Atleti have beaten Malaga 1-0. Um, they've beaten Celta Vigo 1-0, Deportivo La Coruña 1-0, Real Betis 1-0, Alaves 1-0. Um, they've got the trouble of, of coping with the Europa League, which I think is significantly more difficult um, than coping with the Champions League in terms of the timetabling and rest uh, before weekends. But Atleti have, have at least said... Um, I'm, we're not putting up with Bumper Graham's nonsense. We're, we're still title contenders, for, for which I'm deeply grateful. Valencia are stretched to the bare bones at the moment in that they've had Murillo and Garay absent. Um, they had Carlos Gil absent. Geddes is back just, I mean, miraculously soon from a foot operation. Back three weeks, maybe even four weeks before he was expected. Um, Zaza's carrying a meniscus problem. Okay, was suspended at the weekend when they lost to Abar, but if you look across the the amount of weight that's placed upon uh, Rodrigo, Condogbia, and Parejo, um, and the degree to which they can't miss a beat, they can't be absent, because when the others are absent, Valencia drop points. I I think that the the romantic dream of them going toe to toe with Barca to the end of the season probably is too much. And therefore, based on my um, judgment about Valencia and Atleti, maybe John's right. If if Madrid don't win this um, Clasico, then it's hard to see Barca not being considered as champions-elect um, on the night of December the 23rd in a different calendar year for when the title will actually be awarded. I just want to wrap up with two more social questions, one of which I don't think we can answer today, and that's from Curtis Dean, who says... Just for a bit of fun, can Graham give his classical combined XI from the two current squads? To be honest, Curtis, that feels to me like a completely separate podcast. From the two current squads? 
Curtis, Curtis, Curtis. This is going to shock um, a lot of people because I'm a big fan of Tishtegan, but in terms of absolute top quality, high level saves of the current squads, my keeper is Keylor Navas. Of the current squads, without any question, my right back is uh, Danny Carvajal. With due respect to Umtiti, um, who I think is going to be a phenomenon, and ignoring Varane, who is uh, a sort of um, good for three weeks, lost for four weeks player, the two centre-backs are uh, people that I like very much, one of whom I consider a chum. Uh, the centre-backs are, are clearly Piquet and Ramos. Um, at left-back, there's the first really, really... A hard choice because Marcelo is an extraordinary footballer um, really rather an extraordinary man too he's been a fundamental reason for Madrid's uh, success since he joined and a fundamental reason to, to buy a season ticket or a ticket or to turn your television off on and watch Madrid because Marcelo is is truly remarkable is he as um, is he as outright reliable as Jordi Alba um, I think in pure football terms much though I admire Jordi Alba and Alba is a far better defender I think Marcelo wins that position um, yes the midfield Casemiro is exceptional but Busquets is better central midfielder Busquets no question um, Curtis didn't mention age so it would be criminal outright criminal um, if Iniesta didn't play. So it must be Iniesta, which leaves um, a very straight, very difficult choice between Isco, um, Cruz and Modric. But given um, which foot each of these players plays off, I'd say Luka Modric uh, gets my pick for the third man in midfield. Um, up front, it's extraordinarily difficult to find a third person because the first two choices are Cristiano Ronaldo and uh, Leo Messi. And um, if I was completely um, honest about who I'd choose, uh, it would be Gareth Bale. Um, and I'd be very sorry for Luis Suarez because he's given a demonstration of the art of top quality number nine football. Uh, but we've got a top quality number nine in the team, which would be Cristiano Ronaldo, um, Messi on the right or in behind, and Gareth Bale, where he should be, playing down the left. There you go, Curtis. Last question's from Ian Boddy. He says, should Barca give Madrid the Paseo? Oh, it's a great question. Oh, it's a brilliant question. Yeah, which is a word I had to look up. Paseo means guard of honour. Do you want to explain a little bit of the context of this? This is something that Ronaldo suggested oh listen he's he's part of a a crowd of voices martin because if you had a chance to muddy the waters before a big game if you had a chance to distract people's attention from the 11 point gap if you had a chance to kind of turn the heat on barcelona if you had a chance to pump up the real madrid fan base even more so that whether they think they should get a guard of honor or not um whether they think barcelona are responsible for the catalan independence movement or not if you got a chance to turn the atmosphere up so that Saturday lunchtime felt like a, a Saturday night game because it's, you know, it, it, I don't know what it is. Maybe everybody recognises this who goes to football. A nighttime game in the cold under the floodlights is automatically more ferocious of an atmosphere than lunchtime on a Saturday. It's just as simple as that. Unless special things happen. PK will be booed to the limits of everybody's eardrums and whistled at. Um, Barcelona will get a lot of grief when they come out. They always do. It'll be more. So this idea about, you know, which is what's being touted about. Look, look, they've got no honour. They're not They're not doing a, a sort of guard of honour for us. This is a club that's not recognising us. Let's get after them. <laughs> it's, it's brilliant stuff. And, and sort of Barca are boxing clever. Uh, it's come from board level. Uh, but Amor, the, the fullback who was part of the Dream Team era, um, who's their institutional representative right now, has said, well, of course, we only give a guard of honour to a team that's bested us 
in a competition we've been involved in. Ah, very sneaky, very sneaky. So maybe that means that Barca are flying Al Jazeera or uh, Gremio in uh, to stand at the at the Bernabeu Tunnel and, and welcome Madrid onto the pitch um, because Barca weren't out in the UAE last week. Um, my, my honest opinion would be that Barca should have done this. Madrid have just become world champions. They're Spanish, European and world champions. They've retained the Champions League. They've retained the World Club trophy. And to, to be quite honest, if I was Valverde, I'd say, hmm, I wonder if this not, might not motivate my players a little bit. It certainly wouldn't crush their spirit. Let's line up, lads, and then get them a wee bit of a chasing on the pitch. But I think Madrid are quite right to ask the question. They've won, they've earned the right to say, hold on, fellas, shouldn't you be in two lines there as we come out? Because... Uh, are you world champions? Are you? Are you? I love it. I love it. <laughs> Listen, Graham, that's brilliant. Thanks very much for your time and we'll hopefully catch up after the game. Next month, Stossi will big interviews with Roberto Di Matteo. Sign up now and that full episode will drop into your app on January the 1st. Plus, you'll get all our archive shows, including five exclusive big interviews, plus this month's first special mini-documentary on Gareth Bale. Head to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter.